have in my hand. <clears throat> Powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. supposed to look at your neighbor and say, hey, I'm sorry you're going through that. Now look back at your neighbor and say, but we done got the victory. <laughs> Brother Baker, Brother Baker, <clears throat> Brother Baker, could you help me, sir? Give a clipboard to Miss Geneva and a clipboard to Miss E.G. Fish fry, sign up. It's going to work its way back through. Be sure and let us know what you're bringing. And uh, uh, Don, I, I haven't asked you formally, but will you and Verlin take care of the fish for us? Awesome. I, can we keep him in town long enough to cook some fish? I mean, brother? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Always a blessing. That's a, that's a great Sunday. It'll be the last Sunday this month, the 30th. Uh, we'll eat at 5 and <clears throat> have some singing at 6. Uh, still trying to find a quartet. If we can't, then you'll get to listen to me for a while. <laughs> and some of you for a while. That'd be a lot of fun, too. How you doing? I was in Houston seeing a one-year-old have a birthday last week. Boy, she's ever been a one. Uh, the, my, my favorite picture is her with her crown on that says one on it. And little chew rings all in her mouth and on her arms. And she's she's ready to go. And then the dog, who's not quite sure that she needs to even be in the house, he still kind of walks by her and turns his head away from her. I just think that's funny. <clears throat> He's not the center of attention anymore. Reminds me a lot of myself when I quit being the center of attention. That was a long time ago. School starts up this week, is that right? Coaches, how are we doing back there? Maybe make it another year. <laughs> year starts next week. Jinx starts next week. I know he's in Houston this week. And so you've got a whole another week. Well, that's the way they are in Texas. You know, they're slow. So. I'm from Texas. Relax. You can always tell a guy's from Texas. You just can't tell him much. Okay. He'll get that eventually. Brian, Brian, Brian how are you doing? Everything's good? Good. Good. Fantastic. Neil's got a job started this week. Not quite got all the pay thing worked out, he told me. But, hey, praise the Lord, he got one. Amen. So, got his foot in the door, and good things going to come from that. A parakeet, <clears throat> a parakeet can be a fun, uh, a fun pet. Amen. Any of you ever have a parakeet growing up? Uh, I had friends that had parakeets. You know, the ones that can talk to you and stuff. Well, this one's name was Chippy. Parakeet's name was Chippy. And Chippy never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, singing a beautiful song into the air, and the next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. 
She had stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and the feathers at the bottom of the cage when the phone rang. And instinctively, she reaches for the phone and didn't take too long. She hears a, and Chippy's gone. She gasps. She drops the phone, switched off the vacuum. Her heart in her mouth unzips the bag, and there was Chippy, alive and stunned, covered with heavy gray dust. She grabs him, rushes to the bathtub, turns the faucet on full blast, holds Chippy under a torrent of ice-cold water, power-washing him clean. Then it dawned on her that Chippy was soaking wet and shivering, so she did what any compassionate pet owner would do, snatches up the hairdryer and begins to blow dry Chippy. Sucked in, washed up, blown over. It's enough to steal a song from anybody's heart, amen. But life is like that, isn't it, sometimes? You never see it coming. But life just sucks you up, washes you up, and blows you over. Today I want us to spend some time in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles that you held up, I want you to turn to Job chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 through 13 of Job chapter 2. I want to read that to you. I'm in the New American Standard Version. I had... Uh, I've changed back to the New American Standard. Uh, I, for a long time, was recommending the New Living Translation, but um, a couple of small things, uh, I saw how they've changed some of the wording, and I didn't like it. So I've gone back to one that I trust, and that's that New American Standard Bible, NASB, if any of you are interested in that one. Uh, the New King James is okay. Even the Old King James is okay, but... If you didn't grow up on it and really spend time with it, it may be difficult for you to understand. So um, those of you that are dyed in the wool King James, and I know there's a few in our church, and that's wonderful. Uh, There's nothing wrong with the King James Version of the Bible. But, but, for most, for most people, the difficulty of understanding 16th century literature is prevalent. That said, let's go into Job chapter 2. No matter what version you've got in front of you, just follow along with me. I'm going to start in verse 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Jacob's three friends heard of all of his adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nahum, Nahum fight. <laughs> and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, 
They raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Maybe their nickname was Chippy. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. They saw that his pain was very great. Job is an Old Testament character that's familiar to all of us. All of you know who Job is. Let me see your hands. You know who Job is? Heard about him? Good. He, uh, he had an interesting life, didn't he? He had an interesting life. Suffered greatly, but always had an opportunity and responded to God, brought glory to him. For thousands of years, his life has stood as a testimony to what faithfulness should look like. And the ability that he had to bring people if you, if you just follow the example that Job said, it, it would just help you come through adversity. He brought encouragement. And I've appreciated that over the years. There's been times when I've had turmoil, strife, suffering, trials in my life. And, and I've appreciated the fact that Job was able to endure just maybe, just maybe I could too. So this morning I just want to give you four quick ways... Four quick ways that life's trials can bring results in our life. The first one is found in verse 9. Trials will change your faith. (coughs) They will, I'm sorry, challenge your faith. I was reading it wrong. Trials will challenge your faith. Look at verse 9. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Boy, underline that, would you? Curse God and die. Now, I don't know about you, you know, that had to be a rough woman to live with. Amen? <laughs> I mean, all the things that you stand for as a man, and you, you stand with the Lord, and you stand with God, and you're trying to be godly, and try to, try to lead the family in the right and godly and spiritual way, and your wife comes and says, kill him! Curse him and die! Curse him and die yourself! What's wrong with you? Wow, what a contentious woman. I mean, we could call her some other things, but we shouldn't. But let's look at the context. She comes to him. She tries to get him to curse God and just to go ahead and die. Show some dignity and just go ahead and die. She had a, she had a sourpuss attitude, didn't she? Are you married to somebody like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't sit there and agree. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's best just to sit still. Just sit still. Look forward. Reminds me of the time that a friend of mine took out his uh, now wife, took her out for the first time, and uh, they got through the date. You know, he'd spent, he took her to the Golden Rainbow Steakhouse called McDonald's. I mean, well, he'd really poured it on. <clears throat> so he gets her home, and, and the main thing that he wanted was just a kiss, right? And that's how guys think. <coughs> I spent $125,000 and I just need a kiss. That's all I need. So he gets in front of the house and he's sitting out in front of the house. She's sitting on her side of the car. Smart girl. Raised right. Had her hands folded in her lap just staring out of the hood of the car. He looks over and he says, Honey, can I kiss you? She didn't move. She didn't flinch. 
Her eyes didn't blink. No expression change at all. He thought, well, maybe, maybe I didn't speak loud enough. Honey, can I kiss you? Nothing. She, she, didn't, she didn't move. She didn't lean. She didn't look. She didn't anything. Nothing changed. Hands folded her lap. Look over the hood of the car. So finally he says, honey, can I kiss you? Nothing. Nothing. He thought, oh, my gosh, I've got a deaf one here. She can't, she can't hear. He didn't know what to do. So, I mean, he, he wanted that kiss. So he threw all caution to the wind, risked the dad coming out with a shotgun. And so he yells at her, Honey, can I kiss you? Not a movement. Not a movement at all. He said, Are you deaf? <laughs> First time she says anything, she just looks down and she goes, Are you paralyzed? That was the best one I could come up with. Come on, folks. His wife was a mess. Job's wife was a mess. She was terrible. In chapter 1 and verse 3, he was the greatest man in the East. She had gotten used to having the best that there was. And now to see him sitting on a garbage dump, scraping his disease-ridden body with a broken, of, broken piece of pottery. Really? But Job was first attacked in the area of his faith. That's always the way trials work. If we will listen to the devil, he will tell us that God doesn't know, God doesn't care, doesn't understand, and isn't able to do anything about the situation you and I are in. That one. Now, he might help somebody else on this, but ours, he can't help us with. You ever hear those words? You ever get that impression? Don't be surprised when your faith is the first thing to be attacked in the midst of trial. The disciples who have been walking with Jesus are on the Sea of Galilee when the storm rises, and where is he? Sleeping in the boat. But they have their faith attacked. When he comes walking on the water, the rough seas are up and they come walking on the water. Their faith is attacked. Do you see what I'm saying? He'll come and attack your faith first. Sometimes even those things we know to be absolutely true will seem to be just dust in the face of our trials. <coughs> I want you to know that Jesus is absolutely interested in every facet of our life. In everything that we go through. He wants to know how best to help us. And He wants us to get let Him be involved in helping us. But when the trials of life come your way, instead of listening to the faith-destroying lies of the devil, learn to rest upon the unchanging promises of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Romans 8, he describes at the latter part of that chapter, it doesn't matter what you do, where you go, how deep, how high, how wide, you can never be separated from the love of God. Is that not awesome? Which brings me to our second result of trials, and that is in verse 12, trials will change your face. 
trials will change your face. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance, and underline this, and did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept, and each of them tore his robe, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. You see, when Job's three friends arrived, they didn't recognize their old buddy Job. You ever not seen somebody for a while, and you see them, and they they kind of look the same. You know, maybe they had lost weight or they'd gotten sick or, you know, there's some, something's different about them. They're not that same looking person that you knew whenever. Well, this is where these guys were. It seems that the trials that Job was facing in his life were enough to change his face. They could see it in his face. Your trials will do the same to you if you allow them to. They will rob you of your joy. They will steal that smile. They'll replace that look of hope (coughs) with lines of worry. And you know it when people are troubled, don't you? Oh, you know. When they're sick and they tell you, oh, I'm okay, everything's good. You know better. Worry can strain that facial expression. It's just human nature. But the reason that burdens and trials can change us in the way we appear is simply because we allow them to do that. Don't allow them to do it. You have the victory through Christ. You have the victory. You stand up in the face of trial and say, get on out of here. I don't have time for you. I'm living the dream. Waiting to see my Savior. Amen. That's it. We're about the little stuff. We've got to learn to do some things when we face and how we handle things. The Lord would want us to, number one, Refrain from worry. Number two, he'd want us to rest in the yoke. A yoke is for two heads, not one. Let him come alongside and pull with you. He will. He will. He loves you. He wants to come alongside and help. It's always better if you're trying to pull up a stump to have somebody helping you. Amen? I'll tell you. Three, you've got to learn to rely on the Lord's plans. Not your plan, it's the Lord's plan. You ever want to hear God laugh out loud? Tell Him what you plan to do. <laughs> you got to learn to remember His promises. I've given you scriptures here for you to look up later. you got to learn to regularly pray about our trials and the trials that you go through. And then lastly, we've got to learn to rejoice in the midst of those trials. I didn't put James chapter 1 on, but James chapter 1 says you got to find it all joy, brothers, when you fall into these times of Trials and temptations. Sufferings. When the trials of life pick you up and squeeze you, the devil longs for you to produce lemon juice. But my encouragement is you to produce lemonade. Just produce lemonade. It will turn. Don't know when, but it will turn. And it will turn right to the Lord. Just stay with it. Stay with it. Which takes us to the third result of our suffering and our trials, and that is trials reveal the character 
of your friends. And I want to spend a little bit of time with these three guys. I mean, these, these are friends that, that show up. They come with words of encouragement for this brother that was suffering. <laughs> you ever had anybody come to help you in your suffering? Ended up bringing more suffering? Well, sometimes they do that. They come to bring you encouragement, but they, they add to the suffering that you're going through. Eliphaz. He was a man of testimonial experience. He had already been there and done that. No matter what you go through. You ever know anybody like that? It doesn't matter what you're going through. They've been through it before and they've been through it ten times worse than you did. <laughs> oh, I had my leg amputated. Oh, I had mine cut off 14 times. Well, same leg, same leg, 14 times. Well, they might as well say that because that's what they're trying to say to you. Oh, I had cancer. I believe God's going to help me beat this cancer. Oh, I had cancer. Came back, went out, and came back, went out, came back, went back. Man, I'm a test case for the cancer society. That's old Eliphaz. Three things about him I want you to know. In chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he flatters Job. Tells him what a blessing he's been. Buttering him up. And then verses 5 through 11 of chapter 4, he flogs him. (laughs) Accuses him of hypocrisy, of weakness, of wickedness. And then in chapter 4, verses 12 through chapter 5, verse 27, he floors Job. He talks about Job's self-righteousness. Talks about that he's not accepted by God. He's simply getting what he deserves. That Job has a bad attitude. You see, Eliphaz goes so far as to call Job an old windbag. I mean, there's more, but who needs a friend like that? Amen? And then old Bildad, the shoe height. <laughs> One of the smallest men in the Bible. Bildad, the shoe height. He's high as the shoe. R, 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 R. Come on. These are commercial breaks. You're supposed to take them and run with it. Too late if I've got to bring it out of you. Bildad. Man of traditional explanation. He calls Job an old windbag in chapter 8, verse 2. So he attacks him. And then in uh, chapter 8, verses 3 through 22, he appeals to Job. He says that all these things happen to Job because you're a bad guy. You're not right. You have any of your friends come to you and say, well, God must be punishing you because of some sin in your life. I don't know what you've done, but boy, you better pray and repent. Because that's God's after you now. So, so God every day gets up and He goes, hmm, let's see, who's not doing right? Let me see who I can grab hold of. Hey, I know, that Bryant Caleb kid, I'm just going to give him cancer. <laughs> Sorry, outfit. You think that's what he did? No. What God did, He says, I can use that. Satan, what you intended for evil will turn to good. <laughs> Hundreds of people have been touched by Bryant's testimony. And there's going to be more than that. Because we see it every day, how God is doing, time after time after time, He's bringing victory in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, He's bringing victory. And then there's old Zophar, a man of total estimation. He looks at the situation and simply tells Job that he needs to repent of his sins and get right with God. Then Elihu, a man of truthful expression, takes takes a great talker. I mean, it took him six chapters <laughs> to tell Job how worthless he was. Do any of you have friends like that? 
I'm not sure you call them friends. And from time to time, we all have people similar to this show up in our life. Good intentions. Bad advice. And the whole point I'm trying to make here is that we have to show that these men are wrong. And we do that by how we live. We do that by how we live. I love inspirational stories, don't you? I love it when somebody has been struggling in life and all of a sudden they turn around and, and, and things are just going well for them. Uh, I don't know if you've read Ben Carson's life. Ben Carson is one of the men running for president. I'd vote for him tomorrow. I'd vote for, in fact, I would vote for any person that's on the Republican ticket over the shoe that I wear on my foot. Because that's basically what we've got in Washington now. On either side of the party in Washington are shoes on your feet. Men of no principle and no character and spineless. That's sad, isn't it? Sad. But we can't listen to men like that. We've got to listen to men of character. I love what Ben Carson, how he talks about how his mother, his mother made him and his brother read. Have you ever heard this story? Made them read a book and then do a report on it and tell it and read it to them what it what it said. And they they didn't know. They did this for years and they didn't know that she couldn't read. <laughs> they could have lied to her. She'd have never known because she couldn't read. But she knew that she needed her sons to learn. I saw where there's a barber, a black barber in a black neighborhood. I can't remember what town it's in. But he said, I'll give a free go-back-to-school haircut to any, any of the children who will come and sit in my chair and read me a story while I cut your hair. So the pictures of this boy, he's got this big old book, book open and the guy's cutting his hair while he's reading him a story. Hey, now that's what we need, right? Those are the kind of guys we need. We need those people. The gentleman that was put in prison wrongly for 19 years was accused of killing his girlfriend that he didn't do. DNA finally proved it. He gets out. He doesn't take the state-allowed money that he could take for reparations for his life. He says, no, I'm going to go work. He got a job and went to work. Those are the men we need to see, amen. Those are the men we need to find, amen. A young man whose whole left side of his face was blown off by an Iranian bomb in Iraq. And it's been put back together as much as it could be. But he's still standing. He's still walking. He's still talking. And he's still doing what God's called him to do. He said, I'd go back tomorrow because I love the freedom that we have in our country. Those are heroes. Those are heroes. LeBron James. I don't care what you think about him. He said, I'm going to pay for college for 1,100 children. 1,100 children. He said, I'm going to put them into college. Good night. That's a hero to me. Because he's going to take kids who would never have a chance and boy, going to lift them up. You see what I'm saying? Those are the kind of people we need to surround ourselves with. The little girl that David testified of two weeks ago who walks up and hands him an envelope full of money. She's 19 years old, working two jobs. She's sending her tithe money back and gives the tithe money to our youth ministry here at this church. Really? <coughs> Somebody taught that young girl the right things. 
That's a hero to me. They're all around us, folks. They're all around us. Jesus is a friend who will never fail us. Stick close to Him. And number four, trials will confirm your foundation. Trials will confirm your foundation. Back in chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, and chapter 42, verses 10 through 17 is where this idea comes from. Because in the end, Job was restored to a station that he had previously held. You see, God restored him even better than where he was. Now, here's what I would say to you and me. He will restore us to a station better than we were, but it may not look like we're better. Because sometimes the better is inside. The better is inside. I handle things different, treat people different, see people different, operate different. I'm a person of integrity where I wasn't before. I'm a person, you see what I'm saying? Because I'm better. And the reason I'm better is because God restored me to a better spot. Job was restored. God restored everything. His health, his finances, his family, his relationship with his spouse. Life never goes as we plan it, but it never takes God by surprise. Things that happen to you and me never surprise God. He's not surprised. Well, we're surprised. Oh, I didn't see that coming. God did. Just relax, take a deep breath, it's going to be okay. When Brad and Brian are working with these high school athletes, and they have to do defensive coverage on the best wide receiver in the state of Oklahoma, they have to speak tremendous strength into the lives of these young men. Because their eyes are real big, and they've got to learn how to do the techniques better than they've ever done in their life. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden it starts to fall into place. Now we have to put the coaches in traction and all that later. But I'm telling you, it's exciting to watch. And see, it's the same thing when God watches you and me face a difficult time and turn it for good. The angels rejoice. Heaven applauds. And they stand on the rim of heaven. They look over and say, Woo! All right! And they start high-fiving each other. Look at them go, man. Look at them go. Nothing takes God by surprise. So don't let it take you by surprise. I believe that Job's great victory hinged on the fact that he never lost sight of God in all of those trials. He never lost sight of it. In chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he was a broken and humbled man, yet he was still able to exalt the name of the Lord and give praise to the God of heaven. And as long as you can still worship, you live in victory. I was here this morning during my prayer time and listening to music as part of my prayer time on Sunday mornings. And the Revelation song came on. Worthy is the... Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. 
I crank it up. Now, I know some of you, oh, I don't like that loud music. Man, I couldn't hear it loud enough. Because I was, oh, tears running down my face. Because I'm telling you, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't care what the trial is. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what you're facing today. God is bigger. God is better. And God has already won. Don't quit. Don't stop. And don't let up. Put Satan under the under your boot and step on his neck and step hard because you have the victory. And as long as you can praise the Lord, you've got victory. As long as you... Well, preacher, what happens if I lose my voice? You can still praise the Lord. What happens if I can't hear anymore? You can still praise the Lord. What if I can't see anymore? You can still praise the Lord. Because see, it all comes from your heart, doesn't it? It all comes from within, doesn't it? Nothing in this life that you and I face will ever cause us to be separated from God's love. Nothing. I don't care what sin it is. I don't care what stupid choice you made. I don't care what what problem it may appear to be. Our God is greater. Our God is greater. So whatever trial you face, whatever's going on in your life, Time and time again, God will rescue you. He has and He'll do it again. If you'll but turn to Him. Now, it doesn't do much good to turn to Him if you don't have a relationship with Him. If you don't know Him as your Savior, then you're going to be scared. You're going to be afraid to turn to Him. But if you know Him, if you know Him, oh, you can't wait to talk to Him. You remember how it was when your mother caught you doing something you weren't supposed to do? Any of you, any of you go through that? See, I didn't care if my dad caught me doing something. I didn't care. But when my mother caught me, it was so disappointing. You could see it on her face, couldn't you? And there's times when I didn't want to tell her. Because she'd always say, What are you doing? I'd want to lie. I didn't want to tell her what I'd done, what I was doing. I wanted to lie because I didn't want to disappoint her. I've discovered that's exactly what I do with God. I don't want to disappoint Him, so I don't want to tell Him. Well, here's the thing. He already knows. She knew. But she needed me to tell her the truth. God needs you to tell Him the truth. And the truth will set you free. Because He's the truth. The life and the way. Father, I ask you this morning. I know there's somebody in this room. I know there's somebody in this room that needs to deepen their walk with you. I know there's somebody in this room that needs to fall on their knees, fall on their face, And cry out to you. But God, we're afraid. We've got this whole front of the church up here ready for people to fall on their face to call out to you. Some of us are so saved that we forgot what it means to fall on our face before you. Some of us have been saved for so long 
that we're embarrassed to come before you and to tell you that we've messed up. I'm so grateful that Job was a man that faced trial and suffering and sorrow, but he never wavered in his faith to you. Oh, there's times when you had to straighten him out, remind him. But he was quick to come back. So God, would we be so quick to come back to you? I'm praying today that somebody will respond. In Jesus' name, amen.